Hello, this sermon audio is a ministry of the Town Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you would like to learn more about us, how to connect, or how to support us, go to our website, thetownchurch.org. While listening to the Bible preached is a healthy part of our spiritual formation, it is not the whole picture. So if you aren't a part of a local church, we encourage you to prayerfully commit to a local body of believers where you live. We're glad you can join us, and we hope God uses the following sermon to reveal more of His glory to you. Good morning. It's good to see you all this morning. My name is Vince. I am one of the elders here, the teaching pastor. If we haven't met yet, I would love to meet you at some point. I see some unfamiliar faces to me, so I'd I'd love to meet you. I'll be up here after our time together. All right, here we go. Uh, Grab a Bible, if you have one there near you, and turn to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus 32. Exodus is near the the front of your Bibles. If you're unfamiliar with that, that's fine. It's near the front of your Bibles. Um, 32 is the chapter we're looking at this morning. And as a church, we've been moving through um, Exodus, and that's what we do. We move through the Bible, um, a, a book at a time, chapter by chapter, in an effort, really, to see the ongoing flow of Scripture, pointing us to the truth of the, the truth of who God is, the truth of who He's called us to be, and and the the truth of how we then walk that out in, in accordance with those things, who who He is and who He's called us to be. And so we have been looking at the the book of Exodus since August of last year. And as you can see, we're drawing um, near the end, right? We're we're drawing close to to the end of the book. Um, and, and here's what's happened so far: God has freed His people from slavery, and, and once they've been freed from slavery, God goes to great lengths. He goes to great lengths to set up this worship relationship. That's why he's called them out so that they could worship him. God, God establishes a covenant with them. He, he, he draws up a, a covenant, a, a set of laws, a code of conduct for, co- conduct for how the, the people are to, to enter into relationship with God and, and most familiar in that, if you're um, familiar with the Bible at all, you probably know the Ten Commandments. It's right in the middle of that, that code of conduct. And we see that in chapter 20. And from that point on, we have chapter after chapter after chapter of laws from God and instruction from God pointing the people to God. Right, that's all pointing to God, to to the worship of God. Laws, even what seem to be at times really obscure laws. Right, we've seen some really what we see as obscure laws. We've got laws about what to do if an ox gores a man. Right, and we've got laws about what it what should happen with um, uh, boiling a goat in milk. And so, what seems to us really obscure, uh, like obscure laws, we we get these from God about how to be in relationship with him for for these people and and after the laws we get these instructions about how to construct a place for worship for the people an altar a table a lampstand a a tent a courtyard clothes that the priest must wear and, and so on so we have law after law instruction after instruction why Right? Why is all of that in there? Why are those laws given? And why are the instructions so detailed? Why? What's the point of all of this? The point is that God is a God who is worthy of worship. He desires humans to be in relationship with Him so that He would be worshipped as he deserves. And so the point of all of this for the people is worship. That God is at work redeeming a people, saving a people, bringing a people into relationship with him for the purpose of worship. And, and that takes us all the way up to what we looked at last week with chapter 30 and 31. And, and now we're into chapter 32 and, and things turn. Things turn, and, and not only does the story take a turn, the events that we're reading through take a turn, uh, away from laws and away from instructions, but, but the people of God turn as well. We, we see this turn from them as well, and, and this story is one of conflict. It, it's, it's actually an extremely sad turn of events. Many of you probably know where this is headed. You know the story. Well, it's a turn away from 
faithfulness to God. It's a, it's a breaking of a covenant. It's a sad turn of events, a, a breaking of a covenant between the, the people and their God, the very God who miraculously saved them and has now provided for them. And I remember several weeks ago, walking through chapter 19, and then a few weeks after that, chapter 24, and, and I remember even, even uh, the way I presented it, I, 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 I joked a, a little bit about some of these things that I knew were coming. And do you remember what God said to the people? Exodus 19, God says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings. Hear, hear the fatherly care here. How I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You know what the response from the people is? It's this. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Do you remember that? All that the Lord has said, we will do. This was this, this intimate moment between between the people and their God. This was, a, this was a covenant between God and His people. A covenant between God and His people where He spoke the terms, lovingly spoke the terms of the covenant and they agreed to the terms of the covenant. And, and not long after that, in chapter 24, the covenant is, is confirmed. Where in, in 24, uh, verse 3, it says, Moses came... And told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules and all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And then just right after that, a few verses later, then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, uh, yet again, they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood. This is how serious this, this covenant is and then this confirmation of this covenant. Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Now I remember going through those chapters and, and, and making light a, a little bit of that, saying something like, Oh yeah, right, just wait. You remember that where where I, I, I'm foreshadowing what is coming and what I didn't take into account is the weight and the the heaviness that is here and what we're about to look at. They have agreed to the covenant and the covenant has been confirmed. And, and this is a, a loving God who has invited a people into relationship and now there is this turn a turn from the very thing these people were made to do worship God a turn from that worship a God who is worthy they're made to do that there's this turn a turn away from God and that's not that's not a light-hearted issue that's a that's a that that's a heavy Thing. And so what I want to do th this morning, what I want us, you and me, to do is to feel the weight of, of this passage in its entirety. And so I'm going to read through the entire chapter, chapter 32, because I want you to hear the story in its entirety and feel the weight of it. So if it's uh, most helpful for you to, to read along Exodus 32, if it's most helpful for you to, to simply listen, you can certainly do that as well. But Exodus 32, we look at this, and, and I think the temptation for us to do is, is to do this. So, so hang with me for just a second. The temptation for us is to read through this and to get to the end and say, how foolish are they? Right? How foolish are these people? What I want us to consider is that as we read chapter 32, we're looking in a mirror. Okay? So, so consider that as we read chapter 32. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain... The people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. 
So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in your ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of what... what out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people. And behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants? To whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back they were written. The tablets were the work of God, and the, writing, uh, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, this is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. And he threw the tablets of, out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me and I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro fro from gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. And Moses said, Today, you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son and of his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. The next day, Moses said to the people, you have sinned a great sin. And now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They've made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please, blot me out of your book that you've written. 
But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they made the calf, the one that Aaron made. This is God's word. Now, isn't that our story? Isn't that our story that we were created to worship God? We were, we were created to worship God, a God who is worthy of worship, but we sin and we go our own way. And so what do we need? We're in desperate need of a mediator, someone who will step in. But that's not you and that's not, that's not me. That's God. God is the only one who saves. And so as we look at Exodus 32, at this heartbreaking, sad uh, story uh, where the people turn from God and turn to themselves, here's what we see, I think. I think we see ourselves. I think we see ourselves. And so really the outline is that simple. It's really the truth of the gospel for the outline of, of how we'll work through this. We're created to worship. We're created to worship. God is worthy of worship. We sin, God saves. And, and so let me just jump right in. We are created to worship. We're, we're created to worship. God made us, created us to worship, worship Him. And if that is not happening, we will worship something else. We will fill that worship gap with something. We are created to worship. We're told in verse 1 that the people saw that Moses had delayed to come down from the mountain. He, he, had, he had delayed from coming down from the mountain. So they gathered around Aaron. And we're told in Exodus 24 that it was probably 40 days and 40 nights that Moses was away. So their leader, their, their mediator, the very one who represented relationship with God, that very person had been gone for just over a month, right? Five and a half weeks, right? Just, just to put that in, in our minds, 40 days, just over a month. So they go to Aaron, the brother of Moses, and they ask Aaron to make them a God because we don't know where, we don't know where Moses is. Right? We, we don't know where he went. Is he still alive? Did he go up there and did, did God consume him? Where is he? He is our representative uh, between uh, us and God. He was used by God to lead us out of Egypt. So where is that man? Where, where is he? And so Aaron gives in and he tells the people to bring them their gold earrings. And when he had received uh, enough gold, he makes this golden calf. He, he probably uh, fashions a, a, an internal frame out of wood so that he can then pound the gold uh, around it and, and being uh, put into place as, uh, as a golden calf around it. He must have been talented uh, enough to make something that looked enough like a, a calf that, that when they saw it, they actually recognized it as a calf. And, and the people say in verse 4, these are our gods who brought us out of the land of Egypt. Yeah, yeah, these are our gods. And when Aaron heard that the people had fallen for it, he, it, it didn't shock him into thinking, I've got to stop this. But, but he kept going. He, he builds an altar so that he could make sacrifices to this golden calf. And, and Aaron declared the following day a holy day. Uh, saying, we'll, we'll have a feast in honor uh, of the Lord. And so they did. They got up early the next morning and they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings and they ate and they drank and they partied and they had a great time. Now, there are layers of sad and sinful issues woven through just that section of the story. And I think at times it's really easy for us to brush that off with this smug sort of thought of, of, of those fools. How could they do that? How, how could they be so foolish? But for these people, here's what they are experiencing. Think about this. 
Here's what they're experiencing. God had been present. He, he had been. We, we, we know He had been present. We, we saw the plagues that He had done. We, we saw the plagues that He had done, and we knew that was God. They experienced the Passover where the angel of death took the Egyptian children, but not theirs. God had been present. They saw the walls of water when God parted the Red Sea and then crushed their enemies. They've seen God's provision through manna and through quail daily. They've seen God. They've experienced His presence. They've seen the pillar of smoke. They've seen the pillar of fire for the people. God had been present. They knew that. But now, where is He? Where is this Moses that, that he's using to lead us? We've been abandoned. We've been told over and over again that we're going to be led out here into the wilderness to worship this God. But how are we to worship this God? He's, he's not even here. We, we've been promised that we would be get, given a land. Is this the land that we should expect? And so as the people began to lose hope, and their trust in God begins to diminish, they begin to fill in the gaps. Yeah? They begin to fill in the gaps. And I would say that, that I think it can be all boiled down to a matter of trusting, trusting that God is who He says He is. That God has a plan do we trust that even when it doesn't work out like we thought that plan ought to work out? That even when it takes longer than we expected, up to 40 days longer, do we trust? So think about that for, for just a minute. If you're a, a note taker, even if you're not a note taker, I'd encourage you to think uh, about this question, write this question down for thinking about it later in, in the week. I want you to, to think a, a, about something in your life right now that, that's been a struggle. We've all got it. We're all human. Something that's, that's been a, a struggle in your life. What that could be. Maybe it's an ailment of some sort that's been nagging a, a health issue. Maybe it's the, the health of one of your children, which is, which is brutal to, to walk through. Maybe it's... Um, Maybe it's uh, your financial situation. Maybe it's um, uh, your job status. Something that's been a, a struggle for you. Maybe for you it's um, a, a class that you're, you're taking this semester or maybe just a difficult semester in general for, for you students. Something that's been a, a struggle. Something for you um, maybe that, that's been a struggle is that, that, that you're in a situation that, that's a, a trying relationship. Something that's hard in a relationship. Maybe for you, it's that you're, you're struggling with the difficulty of not being in a relationship as you thought you ought to be. And you want to be married and you're, you're not yet. Or you want desperately to have children and you've just wrestled through infertility for years. There's a lot of things that we could maybe think about in terms of of what we wrestle with. And, and so with that thing in mind, here's the question that I want you to consider. Do you trust God? Now, I know that seems simple, and I know that we'd be quick to say yes or, or quick to say no, but, but I want you to really consider that. Do you trust God? What, what evidence do you have or, or what fruit do you have to show that yes you indeed trust god and here's why that's important here's why that's important trust in god leads us to the very thing we were created to do worship him okay Trust in God leads us to, to the very thing we were created to do. And so when we deeply trust God in, in the good and in the bad, in the, in the highs and in, in the lows, when we trust God, when we deeply trust God, then we are moved into worshiping Him. And, and you know the reverse, don't you? When we don't trust God, we're moved to worship someone or something other than God. Often that is self. 
something we've created. So allow that to sink into your head, into your, to your heart, that, that we are much like the Israelites. Moses has been gone for 40 days. God doesn't seem to be present anymore. The people are in the, the wilderness, not in the promised land. They're, they're eating manna meal after meal. And yeah, sure, God's providing, but it's still manna, right? And, and not, not in their promised land. And so what do they do? They begin to fill in the gaps. We need a different leader, right? We, we need a, a one who will be present. We, that's what we need. We, we need a different God, one that we can bend to our own ways. We need a God who is present, one we can see, one, one that's tangible. I want a God that's tangible, that I can, that I can mold and, and shape to do the things that I want. I, I want a God that I can be proud about. Don't we want that? One that we can promote and be proud uh, about. We need something, and so they're filling in the gaps as they see fit, and that leads them not only to make up a God of their choosing, but it also leads them to begin then worshiping it. Setting up an altar, celebrating and feasting, making offerings at that altar, partying around a golden cow, an image probably closely resembling a God of the Egyptians. That's what they have in mind. That's what they've grown up around. So let's make something that, that we're used to. We're created to worship. We're created to, to, by God to worship God. And when we don't trust God to be who He says He is, we begin to fill in the gaps, creating our own gods. And this is the, the devastating truth and reality about our sin nature, that we're, we're leaning in that direction. We, we join with the Israelites in this. They aren't the only foolish ones here. Now, I join them. I, I think you would probably say that you join them. We're quick to, to doubt God and worship what we have set up as significant. And this has been going on for years and years and years and, and years. Listen to how the, the writer of Psalm 106 says this. I think this is this is fascinating. Looking back, he says, they made a calf in Horeb and worshipped a metal image. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God their Savior who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. I mean, they're just putting it out there. Right? They, they worshipped in, in a foolish way a thing that eats grass. They exchanged the glory of God for a grass-eating ox. They forgot God and all the things that He had done. They were foolish. And listen, we join them. We, we join them. As Paul says in, in Romans when we worship the created thing rather than the Creator. And listen, that's how the Gospel starts, isn't it? Isn't that the beginning of the gospel message that this shows our need so clearly? That we have distorted the very thing we've been created to do, that the deep trust in God moves us into worshiping God, which is what we were created to do. We're created to worship God because God is worthy of our worship. God says to Moses, go down to your people They've corrupted themselves and they've turned away from my commands. And, and then God tells Moses what has happened. So up to this point, uh, up to this point, Moses, we've got to assume that Moses doesn't know what's happening, but God knows all things and sees all things. And so he communicates to Moses what is going on. He says, I've seen what is going on. And these people are a stiff necked people. And then God says, uh, leave me alone so I can go after them. Moses Get out of here. I, I'm going to go after them. I, I told you that I would make them a, a great nation, and this is not a great nation. They're corrupt. Go back down so I can go after them. And, and then Moses pleads with God to not go after them. Don't kill them. Don't give the Egyptians a, a reason to, to believe that we're weak. Don't give our enemies a reason to believe that, that we're weak or, or that you're weak. Don't give the Egyptians a reason to believe that you're an evil God. You, you promised our people that you would multiply us and give us a, a great land. God, you swore by your own name 
Other people have to swear by your name because you're so great, but you just swear by your own name. You've done that. God, that, that's who you are. You swear by your own name. And so here's what Moses is doing. He's recognizing the worth of God right in front of God. He's recognizing the worth of God, that God is worthy of worship. Moses is speaking the truths about God, about his character right there. You're a good father. You love your people. You're merciful and compassionate. You're powerful. You're a promise keeping God. You're the God above all gods communicating who God is. God alone is worthy of worship. And so Moses is speaking those truths to God, stepping into the place of mediator. He's stepping into the place of mediator, pleading that God would be merciful. And we're told in verse 14 that the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on the people. God did not, at that moment, wipe the people out. Now, there's a lot that could be said here. Um, and I was hoping that I could get out on sabbatical before I had to do this. But here, here's where um, this goes. Um, right, there's questions that come up with this. Did God change his mind? Right, did, did God lie? Did God go against his word? And that, that could be um, a, an entire lecture series on its own. We could talk a, a lot about this, and, and it's a worthy conversation. Uh, but, but what we have time for now is this. Let me just simplify it and, and say this, that God hears the prayers of his people and answers the prayers of his people in consistency with his character and his will. You hear that? That God hear, actually hears the prayers of his people and actually answers the prayers of his people in consistency, not outside of that, but in consistency with, with his character and his will. There are, there are many things about God we may never understand, and this may be one of them, that, that he would allow us to talk to him, first of all, that he would allow us to talk to him, and that he would then answer our prayers in consistency with his will. Moses calls out to God on behalf of the people in a way that is consistent with God's character. Remember that from last week, that God gives life. His desire is not death, that he gives life. Moses calls out and God answers. We were created by God to worship God, and it is because, as we see here, God is worthy of our worship. He's worthy of it. He's merciful, and he's kind, and he's slow to anger, and he hears our prayers. Let that hit. That he's merciful and he's kind and he's slow to anger and he's loving and he's gracious and he, and he, and he hears our prayers. Isn't that the, the, the thrust of the gospel that, that, that we're created to worship God, a God who is worthy of worship, but then what do we add to that? We, we push into that and we sin. Isn't that what we see next? That, that is our contribution to the gospel. We sin. Moses listens to and obeys God. He goes down the mountain with the two tablets of stone, the, the law written on both sides. That was a typical uh, covenant, two copies, right? Carbon copy, right? So you get that when you sign all that paperwork, when you buy anything, right? There, there's one that's written by the person who's made the covenant. There's also a copy that's given to the, the people who have signed the covenant. And so Moses walks with those two copies down the mountain and, and, and he meets up with Joshua. Remember him from way back? He went up and he's halfway waiting. Talk about a guy who's trying to figure out where Moses is, right? Waiting alone. Joshua on his hike down, they, they hear together the noise of the people, the singing of the people. The people were celebrating and singing and worshiping and dancing around this idol that Aaron had fashioned out of gold. Sin. Sin against a covenant-making God. Think about that picture, that, that Moses is walking down the mountain with the covenant that had been signed. And they look down, and they see the sin of the people against a covenant-keeping God. One who is worthy of worship. And we're told that Moses' anger burned, that Moses' anger overtook him, and he threw the tablets and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He, this was a physical act of anger, to be sure. But, but it's also symbolically representing the breaking of this covenant. 
showing that this covenant had been shattered. That the people said they would obey, as we read earlier, and they have not. They've gone against the terms of the covenant. More grievous than that, they've gone against the, the covenant-keeping God. Sin against a covenant, making and keeping God who has created us to worship because He's worthy of worship. And so Moses takes this golden calf and he destroys it. He burns it with fire and he grinds it down and pours it into their water. And most will say that, that Moses didn't force the, the people to drink right there. But, but that in pouring the, the this golden calf that's been shredded into their water source, he was making them drink what was left of this idol over time as something that they would remember. And, and, and sorry for the graphic nature of this, but they would then uh, eliminate the idol through their digestive tract, the only suitable way to show an idol its worth. And so Moses is doing that, a God-opposing idol, just shredded sin. And when sin exists, there are a few ways to deal with it. And I want us to hear this well, because this is something I think that we overlook in, this, in a passage like this. When sin exists, there are a few ways to deal with it. As one who has sinned, you have the opportunity to confess that as sin, and you have the opportunity to turn from that. Or you have the opportunity to justify and to shift blame and to make excuses and to just ignore and move on. You've Probably, if you're anything like me, you've experienced both of those, right? And it reveals quite a bit about our trust in God, which is then full circle, isn't it? And what does Aaron do? Moses asks Aaron basically a question, and this is the question, why did you do this? Well, why did you do this? And Aaron says in verse 22, you, look, look at what he says, you, you know, you know how they are, brother, right? You know how they are, these people, right? That's the tone I get, these people. They're, they're so set on evil, Right? They were getting antsy. They didn't know where you were. So I asked them for their gold. And I don't know. I didn't know what to do really. So they gave it to me. And I wasn't sure what I should do next. So I, I just threw it into a fire. And, and, and out came this calf. And so Aaron has the opportunity. And that is humorous. I think it is. I laugh every time I read through that. But, but Aaron has the opportunity to confess his own sin in the matter. Moses opens the door for him, doesn't he? Why did you do this? He has the opportunity to, to grieve and weep over his own sin. And instead what he does is he justifies things. I didn't know what to do. I, I just threw in some gold. And, and then he just outright lies. Right? After blaming his brother, it's your fault for staying up there so long. After blaming his brother and justifying things, he just outright lies and says, this is what came out. Sin often causes us to scramble for position and to hide and to make ourselves look right. Sin often causes us to sin even more in an effort to cover up the previous Sin And Aaron had the opportunity to confess. Moses asked a question to open a door for him to confess. And I've prayed about this, this very thing over the, the last days as I've been studying. And, and in praying about this and asking God for guidance here, I, I feel still, I still feel led to ask a similar question this morning for us. Friend, brother or sister, you, you, you know hopefully that I love you. So many of you I have known for years and I love you and those who I don't know by, by nature of you being here and a part of what we're doing, I love you. I, I absolutely love you. And so I feel compelled to ask anyone, young and old kids, listen in to this as well, this question. 
Is there a sin in your life right now that you're holding on to? That you're then justifying? Or, or you're trying to cover up? Or maybe you're just bold lying about? But you know that you need to confess that as sin. Is there something today that you need to confess to God as sin and then confess to anyone you may have sinned against? Can I say this just like Aaron? Today you have an opportunity. The, the door has been opened. We're, we're talking about it. Right? God, by His kindness, gave us Exodus 32. We're, we're walking through this. Could this be an opportunity for you to begin then the process of healing by confessing and asking for forgiveness and pleading with God and pleading with others for help then in turning from that sin that is burdening you? Is there something in your life like that today? Let me just sit with some awkward silence. Listen, you're surrounded by a group of people who love you. Who, who love you and care for you. you. We have a Heavenly Father who loves us. Listen to the author of Hebrews in, in chapter 12. He says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that's us, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run then with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, our cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We have a God who loves us. We have a God who loves us and a group of people around us who love us. And here's the assurance that we get. First John talks about this. That if we confess our sins, He is faithful to and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Did you hear that? That we confess. And when we do, God forgives. He's faithful. God created us to worship Him. He's worthy of our worship. And so often we sin and we dodge and we make excuses. And, and sin, if left alone, will, will relationship with God and, and with others will, will be destroyed, will be hindered. And, and Moses saw that the people were out of control because, because Aaron had allowed them to run out of control. Verse 26 tells us that Moses stood at the gate and says, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me, come to me. Do you know what Moses is doing? He's, he's calling for repentance. He's calling for a change in, in direction. He's calling for them to look to God and, and run from the sin they are pursuing. That's desperately needed when there is sin. And, and, and all too often we see the, the confession of sin as good enough. Right? I said I was wrong, alright? Can I just move on? But Moses is calling them to repentance. Who's on God's side here? Step forward. Moses is asking for repentance. And who steps forward but the, the Levites, Aaron's group? And Moses instructs the, the Levites to take their swords and go through the camp, taking the lives of those who are unrepentant idol worshipers still. This is an act of discernment for the Levites. This is actually an act of mercy from God. Right, uh, uh, that, that he could have taken out the entire people, but in his mercy, he allowed for the opportunity of confession and also repentance to take place. And at that point, Mo Moses ordered the Levite men to, to be priests, or ordained them to be priests in the service of the Lord for the work of cutting off from the blessing of God those who were unrepentant idol worshipers. Sin, sin wreaks havoc on an individual and on a people. Sin, uh, the, we all sin. This is the flow of the gospel. 
God created us to worship him. He alone is worthy of our worship. And still we choose to go against God. And we're called to confess that. And we're called to turn from that. And and we're called to move in a direction away from that. We don't deserve to be near God. So what do we need? We need desperately a a, a savior. Isn't this the gospel flow? This is what we see next. the, The fourth part, God saves This is his story of redemption. We're told in verse 30 that the next day Moses said to the people, you've sinned a great sin. He calls them out. You've sinned a great sin. You went against one of the Ten Commandments directly against God. So I'm going up to the Lord and maybe I'll be able to make atonement for your sin. And so what does Moses do? He goes up and he pleads with God. God, please forgive them. And then in an act of of a humble mediator, Moses says, if God, if, if you won't forgive them, then, then take my life. Blot me out from your book. Cross my name off and, and give them my place. Now, if that, friends, does not scream for a Messiah, what does? All right, take my name, cross it out, and put them in, in that place. And God says, no, 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 the sinner will be blotted out. Moses, you lead the people to the promised land. I will take care of those who have sinned against me. And to show that God is a holy God who is worthy of worship, God sends a plague on the people, giving them a taste of his wrath. There, there's discipline involved, giving them a, a taste of his wrath. But ultimately, God saves the, the people deserve death. The people deserve to be cut off from God's blessing, but God saves. Moses is a human mediator, goes, goes to God offering his life for the rescue of God's people. This reveals a deep, deep need for the truth of the gospel to, to reign. Friends, we cannot look down our noses at the Israelite people as fools. They are for us, I think, in so many ways, a mirror. That God has created us to worship God alone. And when we don't trust God to be God, we create idols. We create gods who we think we can believe and trust in. And we worship the created instead of the creator. But God alone is worthy of our devotion and our worship. And we then put into that a continuation of sin against God by not trusting and not worshiping the worthy God. And all of that points us to to recognize with great clarity our need for a Savior. But listen to this very carefully. Our Savior is not a man who in anger symbolizes broken covenants. Our Savior is one who is perfect in every way. And our Savior goes to the Father and says, forgive them. And God does. He goes to the Father offering His life, and in faith, our names are written in the book of life forever, never to be blotted out. God accepts this sacrifice, and because of this sacrifice, we are forgiven, and we are counted as free from slavery to sin. So Exodus 32 points us to to this very thing, what we've been created to do and how we've distorted that in our desperate need for someone making us right. The the God who calls us to worship, that, that one is not Moses, it's not Aaron, but Jesus who God saves through Jesus alone. I think this chapter shows us the gospel. And so we've seen in story the gospel. And here's how I want to end this morning as we prepare to respond. We've seen the gospel in story. I want to read the gospel as clearly as I know how from the book of Ephesians. Okay, so, so listen to this. This is the gospel. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now that would be a horrible ending. But God, being rich in mercy 
because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages we, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. Father, you're a God who is worthy of worship. You have created us to worship you. And so often we move in the direction of sin against you. And so I confess that this morning of my own heart, that in so many ways I've pushed against. And I've created things that I want to worship, that I feel like present the things that I want to be worshiping. I do that. I confess that to you. And God, I ask that you would help me to turn from that. And God, I pray for courage for my friends here. That if there is a sin that is clinging closely to them, that they have yet to confess, yet to ask for your help in turning from, God, I pray for courage for them, that they would see their need to turn from it. They would confess it as sin. That they would gather with the people who love them, who are around them, confess that as sin and ask for help. God, that's going to take courage. And so I, I plead with you that you would give courage. That you would, by your Spirit, help us to be turning from fighting, fighting against sin. We have been surrounded by a group of people who love us. Gifts from a God who love us. So I pray this morning that as we consider the weight of our own sin, that we would consider even more the, the weight of of our great, great Savior, Jesus, who stood in our place, took on our sin. Because of Him, we are seen as forgiven and righteous. We are forgiven and we're seen as righteous. So I pray that we would lean on Him, trusting all the more. It's in His name we pray. Amen.